0: Hey everyone, welcome to the House Church Podcast. We are so glad that you decided to join us for today's broadcast. Every time we come together as a church, people encounter God. Our prayer is that you too would experience His presence and hear His voice for yourself. Please enjoy this week's message by our senior leader, Pastor Jamie's wife, Pastor Nicole Van Gelder. Pray and then I'm going to share something with you that's been on my heart. So, Father, I just thank you. Lord, I thank you for all that you're doing. Lord, you are always doing good things. Lord, when we don't see it, it's not you, it's us. So, I ask right now that you would open our eyes, that you would send your spirit to just blow off the dust of the world that we would be able to be refreshed, that we would have our spirits quickened within us, that we would be able to delight in the good things that you're doing in us and through us and all around us. And Lord, I just ask that this morning that you would speak to us and strengthen us and encourage us. I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I am going to start out reading a bunch of scripture, Um, so I want to encourage you to turn there with me. I know they'll have it on the screen, too, Um, and I'll just trust if I don't hear you turning, it's because you're using your Bible app like I do. I love that, Um, but it is going to be a, a lot of scripture reading today because the Word is full of so much life. And encouragement. And if we just slow down sometimes to take it in, the Lord does some really awesome stuff in our heart. So, Matthew 25, starting in verse 14. This is a parable, it's Jesus speaking, and he says this It is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one, he gave five talents to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also, the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground." "'See, you have what is yours.' "'But his master answered and said to him, "'You wicked, lazy slave. "'You know that I reap where I did not sow "'and gather where I scattered no seed. "'Then you ought to have put my money in the bank, "'and on my arrival I would have received "'my money back with interest. "'Therefore take away the talent from him "'and give it to the one who has the ten talents. "'For to everyone who has, more shall be given, "'and he will have an abundance.' But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is quite a cheery parable to start off a Sunday morning with, right? (laughs) Um, I hate this chapter. Uh, I, you know, I have loved the Bible since I was little, I have spent a lot of my life reading it, and this is a chapter that every time I read it, um, there's always a little bit of fear that comes into my heart. And I just want you to know that fear isn't always bad, (laughs) but it depends on what kind of fear it is. And it's interesting to me the different viewpoints in this parable of that last slave and his master. Because the slave is saying, hey, I knew you were a hard man. I know that you reap where you don't sow, that you gather where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid. I didn't want to screw up. I didn't want to lose what you had given me. I didn't feel up to the task, so I hid. You know, He reacted in fear. I think a lot of us can identify with that. A lot of us might have compassion when we see somebody in that situation because we've been there ourselves. It kind of reminds me a little bit of Adam and Eve in the garden. You know, after they sin and then they hear the Lord walking in the garden. And all of a sudden there's a fear that grips them and they hide from him. Like, I'm just going to be honest and tell you, I've been there. (laughs) I've done that. You know, like I've, I've done something wrong, known I did something wrong, and instead of running to the Lord, I hide from him as though there is some place I can go where he's not going to find me. <laughs> you know? And so I have compassion when I hear about this, this slave and he, he has fear and he hid, but the master does not have compassion on him. The master says to him, you wicked and lazy slave. Ouch. Right? You wicked and lazy slave. And there's something about this that is really interesting to me, and it's the word lazy there. You know, he, the, the slave himself is saying, I was afraid. But this is really a picture of not just being afraid. It's about feeling overwhelmed, And so you shrink back. That's what that word actually means. I was given this opportunity and it overwhelmed me. I didn't know what to do with it or maybe I knew it was bigger than what I wanted to contribute. I knew it was gonna require something of me and I didn't really wanna give what it was going to require. And so I shrunk back from the opportunity. So the master is saying you're wicked and you're lazy and the slave was saying I was afraid but he wasn't just it wasn't just a normal fear it was an overwhelming sense you know it was I don't know if I want to give what's being required of me and so what does he do he hides he does nothing he does the very least possible thing that he can do He tries to preserve what he's been given, and he adds nothing to it. And what does the master call him? He calls him worthless. He is good for nothing. He is offering no profit. This is harsh, right? Why? Why is this such a big deal to the master? I'm gonna assume from your silence that you're all busy contemplating your life like I do when I read this, and that's okay. But the thing about this that I have come to understand as I've gotten older, is that the slaves were given opportunity with something that was not theirs to begin with. This master had given his very own possessions as an opportunity to his slaves, to his servants. He had given, if you will, his kingdom. He was entrusting them with it. He was going away and he was saying, in my absence, I want you to do with my possessions, with my kingdom, what I would do if I were here. Now, when you think about it this way, maybe it makes a little more sense why the master had this reaction. Maybe it makes a little more sense how this applies to us. Because do you know that we've been entrusted with a kingdom that's not ours? (laughs) With a kingdom that we didn't pay for, but that there was a great cost in order to give us access to it? It's not ours, and the one who it belongs to has gone away, and he is expecting us to treat his kingdom in the same manner that he would if he were here, and he wants when he comes back to find that we've been faithful. Matthew 25, 29 in the Amplified says this. It says, "For everyone who, For to everyone who has and values his blessings and gifts from God and has used them wisely, more will be given, and he will be richly supplied so that he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have because he has ignored or disregarded his blessings and gifts from God, even what he does have will be taken away. This is about the posture of our heart. It's not really about ability. (laughs) It's about the posture of our heart and if we're willing to recognize what the Lord has given to us, the opportunity that's in front of us, and if we will rise to the challenge instead of shrinking back. Because it's a lot more comfortable sometimes to shrink back. I think most people who grew up in the church like I do, and maybe I shouldn't generalize, maybe it's only me, I grew up in the church, I'm so thankful, I've loved Jesus since I was little. I grew up, though, with some very religious ideas about what it meant to be a Christian. So I had a list of rules that I was supposed to follow or not follow. I was one of the people that would come into worship and every single time I wouldn't be worshiping, I would be looking at all my faults and confessing them and desperately trying to make somehow things right between me and the Lord. Even though I knew, you know, in my head that it was Jesus who made things right, like I I didn't understand in my heart What that actually meant. And as I grew older, I'm so thankful that the Lord began to peel away the layers of my heart and actually uh, bring me on this journey where I could come before Him and feel loved. Where I knew that my connection with Him was secure because it had nothing to do with the list I did or did not follow, but it had everything to do with my relationship, my connection with him. And the thing that's so amazing when you stop living from a religious viewpoint and you start living from a spiritual one of connection and walking with the Lord every day is that the things that you tried to change about yourself before that you could never seem to change actually begin to change when you walk with Jesus every day because he changes your heart. This is good news, and you guys should be very excited about this, because the things that are impossible for you are possible with him. And so (laughs) to be found a good and faithful servant, to be found one who has taken what they've been given and actually done what they're supposed to do with it, I want to tell you that it has more to do with your heart than your actions. And this is good news. Because your heart is something that if you entrust it to the Lord, that he's going to bring you on a journey that is going to completely and utterly transform you. And he will do it with grace, and he will do it with mercy. He will be severe at times, but it will be such a good severity. It will be the kind that brings life, that cuts away the things that are killing you, and brings you into abundance it's an amazing process and so this is good news and you should be excited about it but i do want to ask you a question the lord has given you his kingdom you get to fully embrace it you get to be a part of it you get to partake in all of it and my question is what are you doing with what you've been given We all want to be in the first category, those who value and use our talents and are entrusted with more as a result. But the question then is how do we do that? How do we live? How do we position ourselves? What do we do practically with our lives that will determine that we're found faithful when the Lord comes back? These are daunting questions, and it's easy to be overwhelmed by then. But I want to tell you, if you're feeling overwhelmed in this moment, don't hide. That was the mistake of the third slave. He got overwhelmed, and he shrunk back. But this is a day, my friends, to step forward. <laughs> and the really good news is that Jesus gives the answer to how do we do this if we just keep reading a little bit. You know, in our Bible, a lot of times it will separate things out with titles, and we think sometimes when we read it that it's a completely different train of thought or a different thing. <laughs> but that's not true. So Jesus is telling this, this parable, and then right after that, this is what he says, picking up in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will put the sheep on the right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in, naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they themselves will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it, to one of the least of these... You did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. It just keeps getting better, huh? (laughs) All right, these are connected thoughts. Jesus is talking about the slaves who were entrusted with talents and how they were expected to increase what they had originally been given. And then he goes on to talk about who gets to inherit his kingdom. And they're the same thought. He is saying to you, (laughs) you know, who inherits the kingdom? It's those who fed the hungry, gave a drink to the thirsty, invited strangers in, clothed those who needed it, visited the sick, those in prison, and so on, right? So in other words, who inherits the kingdom? Those who had who did good when they had the opportunity to do it. Jesus gave us access to his kingdom, and the way we inherit his kingdom fully at the end, when we stand before him and we give account for our life, it has more to do with the little things we do than the things that may seem so big and important from our perspective because the ones who are faithful are the ones who do the small acts of kindness when the opportunity comes. In James 2, starting in verse 14, it says this, Brothers and sisters, it doesn't make any sense to say you have faith and act in a way that denies that faith. Mere talk never gets you very far, and a commitment to Jesus only in words will not save you. It would be like seeing a brother or sister without any clothes out in the cold and begging for food and saying, Shalom, friend, you should get inside where it's warm and eat something, but doing nothing about his needs, leaving him cold and alone on the street. What good would your words alone do? The same is true with faith. Without actions, faith is useless. By itself, it's as good as dead. I know what you're thinking. Okay, you have faith and I have actions. Now let's see your faith without works and I'll show you a faith that works. Don't you realize that faith without works is useless? Like a glove without a hand or a hat without a head? Do you think that just believing there's one God is going to get you anywhere? The demons believe that too and it terrifies them. The fact is, faith has to show itself through works performed in faith. If you don't recognize that, then you're an empty soul. Wasn't our father Abraham made right with God by laying his son Isaac on the altar? The faith in his heart was made known in his behavior. In fact, his commitment was perfected by his obedience. That's what scripture means when it says, Abraham entrusted himself to God and God credited him with righteousness. And living a faithful life earned Abraham the title of God's friend just like our father in the faith were made right with god through good works not simply by what we believe or think even rahab the prostitute was made right with god by hiding the spies and aiding in their escape removing action from faith is like removing breath from a body all you have left is a corpse yeah see you guys are starting to get cheerful (laughs) i promise this is good news (laughs) Are you ready for a picnic or what? Okay. <laughs> this is the thing. When it talks about how Abraham's behavior, it says his commitment was perfected by his obedience, at least in the version that I read. But that isn't, that's about being made complete. So what this passage is saying is that your faith is made complete in you by the way that you behave. It's not just about coming to know something in your head. It's about actually living it out every single day. It's about actually allowing the Lord access to every part of you so that He is breathing into you, so that He's teaching you, so that He's like leading you, and you're doing the little things in front of you because as you do them, something happens and you begin to change. This is how your faith grows. It's really, really good to spend time in the Bible. I love the Bible. I've already mentioned that. I've loved it since I was young. It's one of my favorite books to read. I rarely read it and don't find something from it that fuels me. It's an amazing thing, and I encourage all of you to fall in love with Scripture if you haven't yet. (laughs) But it isn't correct theology that's going to save me. It's not correct theology that's going to save me. It's Jesus. And if I actually believe that he's the one who saves me, then what a fool I would be if I connected myself to his words or to the structure of the church that I thought that he led, but I didn't connect myself to him. And the way that you connect yourself to Jesus is by following him. You lay down your life and you go where he goes. You you abandon your own purposes in pursuit of His. You stop seeking after your own good, and instead you seek after Him. You know, as Christians, we're not supposed to be seeking after the things of the world, but instead we're supposed to be trusting the Lord to provide what we need and be willing to sacrifice everything for Him. And it's on this journey that our faith is actually perfected, that it's made complete. It's on this journey that we come to a place where we can have confidence that we're going to stand before him someday and be found faithful, not be turned away. (laughs) Because what a tragedy it is if you think that you've been building your life according to the precepts of the kingdom and only to get to the end and find out that the Lord did not actually know you. I look around this room and I see amazing people. I see people that have done amazing things for the Lord and are going to do even more. People that are ready to do really big things for God. (laughs) People that want to build things and change culture and, you know, just do awesome things. And that's amazing. I have no doubt that in this room are people that are changing history and are going to continue to change history but i want to remind you that the kingdom is entrusted to those with the right heart those who live like him and love like he does in the story of the good samaritan which we're not going to read right now but it's the samaritan who's a good neighbor and being a good neighbor is important <laughs> Right, Because the two greatest commandments are what? Loving the Lord and loving people, right? (laughs) And so if we are going to be followers of Jesus, then that has to be the most important things that we do, is that we love the Lord first and then we love people. It's not a side note. It's not a secondary, less important thing. It's not something we do if we get to, you know, time for it. It's not about loving the people that make us feel good or that are fun to be around. In the story of the Good Samaritan, it's the Samaritan who is the good neighbor. And the reason he helped the one in need, it says in Scripture, is that he saw someone. So the the Samaritan's on a journey. He sees a Jewish man that's been robbed and is in need. Other Jewish people have passed by and not helped him. And this time, Samaritan's Jewish people, not friends. Right? The Samaritan comes along and it says he felt compassion. And because he felt compassion, he goes and he helps this man who's in need. And that word compassion there means that you're moved in your inward parts. Jamie's spoken about this before and it's something that is so amazing and also so comforting to me because it's when something wells up inside of you, then you know that's the Lord inviting you to act. And the reason this is comforting to me is because this is what would happen to Jesus too. You know, when Jesus was on the earth, he healed people, he provided for people, he set people free. He did amazing things, but do you know that when he died, there were still people on the earth that needed a touch from him? (laughs) Like, he didn't come and set the entire world free physically himself, personally, He did that through the cross, but he didn't do that in his ministry. But what would happen is people would come to him and he would respond. Or there are several times in scripture where it said, Jesus saw the people and he felt compassion. You know, he saw the crowd who had gathered to hear him teach. And he knew that they were needing food, that, you know, they had come out and they weren't going to be able to go and just eat. And he felt compassion. And so what does he do? He multiplies food and provides for them. Jesus would have this thing well up in him, and because of it, he would respond. And this is what is so amazing, because when I start to think about feeding the hungry, you know, visiting those in prison, helping people in need, I get overwhelmed, because there are a lot of people in need. And I start to think, okay, well, I need to start going into the prisons, You know, how can I find time in my day so that I can go and be in all the prisons in the area? I start to think about all the things that, like, systematically trying to do these things. And do you know what? I don't have time to save the world. Like, it's beyond my capacity. But the good news is, is that I don't have to save the world because Jesus died to do that. (laughs) And I don't have to figure out the solution to systematically solve something, although if you can, do that, because that'd be awesome. You know, like, I have no doubt that the Lord is going to lead some of you in solving systematic issues in our day, and that is amazing. But that's not what the Lord is generally calling all of us to. Instead, he is calling us to do good when the opportunity arises. When I come across somebody in need, like the Samaritan man, to look at them long enough for compassion to well up and then actually do something about it. In Luke twelve thirty-two, it says this, "'Do not be afraid, little flock, "'for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. "'Sell your possessions and give to charity.'" Another translation says, it's your father's great joy to give you his kingdom. That means you can sell your possessions and give generously to the poor. You know, we have been given the kingdom, and it wasn't reluctant. The Lord wasn't just like, well, I guess. Okay, this is part of the deal. I have to trust you. But the Lord actually chose to entrust his kingdom to us. And he (laughs) is believing that because he did that, that the world is going to be changed because of the way that we behave, because what he entrusted to us, we will so generously give to the world around us. This is good news. (laughs) You're not looking like it is. But this is really good news, because it's easy to be generous when you've received an entire kingdom. You don't have to be stingy. You don't have to worry about where anything is going to come from, where your provision is coming from, because the Lord's already given you access to everything. You don't have to run after any of that stuff, but instead... (laughs) You get to freely give, knowing that the Lord's taking care of you, and so you can be a blessing to anybody you encounter. The most difficult part of this, I don't think, is generosity. I think it's the speed of our life. Now, I might be alone in this, but I let my life get too busy sometimes, And so I get up in the morning, and I have to go do this, and then this, and then this, and I live my entire day thinking about the thing that comes next. And do you know that when I live like that, people become an irritation? They become a hindrance. They slow me down. You know, like, I don't have time for your questions. I don't have time for your problems. I don't have time for you, because I'm so busy, you know, doing X, Y, Z. That is, like, that is not the way that we're supposed to live. And when we live like that, even if the things that we're attending to are good things, do you know that we're actually missing the opportunity to do good? That we're actually missing the whole point of what our lives are supposed to be a lot about? This summer, I really felt it in my heart. Like, I had this thing where I was like, I need to learn to garden. Who in here likes to garden? Oh, a lot of you. Good. You could teach me things. I have never been a gardener. And we have a really beautiful backyard. I love it. It is the favorite part of, my, of our home. Um, it's not at all because of me. It's because of my amazing husband. Also, my brother-in-law is a landscaper, so that helps. Um, But I love being outside in our yard. You know, when Jim said that the weather had gotten nicer, I was thinking, what do you mean, nicer? Like, (laughs) 90s, my jam. Love it. Sit outside in the sun, bake. I do use sunscreen, just so you know. Um, (laughs) But I love being outside. But I don't love growing things. When we lived in Germany... Um, our house this is a totally true story we lived in this old old farmhouse and it had these really big windows in the kitchen and I when we first moved in it was springtime and I lined these big windowsills with some plants just to add some color and kind of brighten things up a little bit well that as as the weather got cold And the part of Germany we lived never really was hot. Um, But when it got really cold, the plants froze. And it was actually really awesome because you couldn't tell they were dead. (laughs) I never had to water them or anything. And just like, I mean, it didn't last the whole three years, unfortunately. But that first like winter, our kitchen looked really pretty. And it looked like I knew what I was doing. But if you looked close enough, you saw that they were actually frozen to death. (laughs) So that was kind of my experience growing plants. Okay. Um, And this summer, I just had this thing where I was like, I just feel like I'm supposed to grow things, and I said to my brother-in-law, like, I want to get some rose bushes, and like four times, he said to me, like, you know, you have to take care of them, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, they actually, like, you're going to have to, re- like, you're going to have to do stuff, and he would kind of walk me through, and I'm like, no, no, I know, I, but I want some rose bushes, and so I think kind of reluctantly, he got me some rose bushes, so we have some rose bushes in our yard. And I have kept them alive. Thank you. Remarkably, he checks them every time he comes over, you know, and I think he's been kind of amazed. But so far, they're alive. And I also got this deck box where I'm growing, you know, just some like peppers and herbs and things like that. And every time we use them in one of my recipes, like I say to the kids, isn't this extra good? You know, and they're like, Oh, is this your basil? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, it's so good, right? (laughs) I have some green tomatoes on a plant. Like, so this is my, the extent of my growing experience. I keep saying to the kids, I'm practically a farmer, but (laughs) the truth is I'm not. But the whole point and why I'm sharing this with you is because the reason I felt it so strongly that I was supposed to do this is because I knew my life was going too fast, I knew I was making bad choices. And I felt like the Lord was inviting me into slowing down. And I have this thing in my mind where if I don't have enough time in the morning to like water some of my plants and kind of look over things and have time to do that at the end of the day, then I'm not doing something right. Because I'm not supposed to wake up in the morning and start going and go to sleep at night and that be the first time that I stop And I want to tell you that I'm not being totally successful. Things are growing, but sometimes it's in spite of me. It's because I haven't done anything, but we've gotten rain, you know, or someone else has taken care of something. I'm not there yet. I know that the Lord is still working on me because I still sometimes grab hold of things that are not that important and treat them as though they are and treat the people The opportunities to actually do good as though they're lesser to me accomplishing my to-do list. And when I live like that, I'm failing. I've never gone to the Lord and had him go, "Um, just a minute, I'm in the middle of something. You know? And, And I know sometimes I'm not trying to heap shame or blame on anybody. I know sometimes those things are unavoidable. You know, I have eight kids. I have a job. I homeschool. Like, I have things on my plate that are important and that I have to do, that I'm responsible for. But what a pity if I am a homeschooling mom who gets irritated when my kids slow down my process. Right? Because isn't the whole point supposed to be about them? So I'm not trying to discourage you this morning, believe it or not. This is supposed to be a friendly reminder and hopefully an encouragement that it actually matters the way we live our daily life. This is really good news because it can take the weight off of you having to figure out how to save the whole world. Just trust that Jesus did that. You don't have to figure it out, but what you do have to do is you have to choose to live every day in tune with him. You have to notice. You have to notice the people around you, but also you have to notice when the Holy Spirit is nudging you and that compassion wells up because when that happens, that's the Lord's invitation to do something. And you're not going to experience that when there's, you know, a, with every need in the world, but you're going to experience it when the Lord is saying, hey, I gave you something that can help in this moment. Hey, do you see that person over there? Do you notice them? Do you feel that compassion in, my, in your heart? That's me. And I'm asking you to be the one who would give the kingdom to them because I've given it to you so generously this is really good and exciting news because not only does it mean that we're going to live lives faithfully and be found faithful, but it also means that we get to be a part of what the Lord is doing here, that we get to be a part of the most important things. If we live our life like this, (laughs) then we are going to change the world, We may not realize it at the time, but by the time we get to the end of our life, we'll have seen as the kingdom has been multiplied everywhere we go because of the small acts of good that we did to people when the opportunity came. You guys, please stand. My life is often too busy and I rush around and I am focused on the wrong things and don't notice things that I should. And I'm going to be honest and tell you, even when I notice things, sometimes it's so overwhelming that I shrink back instead of moving forward towards the need. But the good news is that the Lord is changing my heart. That he is doing a work in me, and that as I walk with him every day, I find that my faith is growing, that I'm changing. And this is really good news for me, (laughs) but it's good news for you too, and not just because you have to deal with me, but because I know the Lord's doing the same for you. That as you make room for him and for people, that you're gonna find this amazing thing taking place where your faith is perfected, where it's completed, where you become more mature, where you're entrusted with more because you've been faithful with what you've been given. And this isn't something to shrink back from or to feel overwhelmed. This is something to celebrate because Jesus has chosen you to give his kingdom to. He's entrusted you to do what he isn't doing <laughs> here. He knows that you're going to. So I'm just going to pray for us. Hmm. Father, I just thank you. Lord, I thank you for the people in this room who love you so dearly. Lord, I thank you that their hearts are already pure and they're already seeking after you. And and Lord, on behalf of all of us right now, <laughs> I just wanna repent for the times that we get distracted, that we hold things that aren't important as though they are, that we treat things that are important as though they're not. Lord, forgive us for when we don't treat people the way that you do. Lord, thank you for your patience and your grace for us. Thank you for your mercy. Lord, thank you that you trust us that you've given your kingdom to us, not reluctantly, but joyfully, Lord. Thank you that you have confidence in us that we don't even have in ourselves. But because of what you're doing in our lives, Lord, we will be found faithful. We trust you. We trust you with our lives, with our hearts. We trust you with the world around us, Lord. And we just ask that you would open our eyes, that you would allow us to see Father, that you would make us sensitive to your spirit within us so that when the opportunity to do good comes, Father, that we wouldn't shrink back, but that we would be those who don't just meet the challenge, Father, but run to it. That the people around us, Lord, that they would have their needs met, but also that they would come to know you because of how we live our lives. So just thank you, Father. I thank you for these people. I thank you for all the good that you've already done through them. And I ask that you would continue to bring opportunity for us to do good and to bring your kingdom to others. And now, Lord, I just want to bless each person in here. Lord, may your smile be upon them this week. May this word not be a heavy one, but may there be a lightness and a joy that comes when they realize, Lord, just what you've given to them. (laughs) And may they have opportunity to do good this week in such a way, Lord, that they are changed and the people around them are changed too. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. It is our hope that God touched your life in a truly meaningful way. And if you were impacted, please let us know by writing a review or by sharing it with your friends. If you'd like more information on The House Church, we would love for you to connect with our community. Please visit ithehouse.org for more information. See you next week.